Hi, you're listening to Mastering Money, where we explore the many aspects of good financial decision-making. I'm Doretta Thompson, Financial Literacy Leader for Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. We provide no-cost programs and free online resources to help Canadians own their finances and learn the language of money. This season, we're looking at that four-letter word so many of us know all too well, debt because understanding and managing debt is easier when you know your options and you have the right guidance. My guest today is Elan Kibble, partner and senior vice president with BDO Canada. Elan's got over 20 years experience in insolvency and restructuring in Canada as a licensed insolvency trustee in all types of insolvency engagements for both consumers and corporations. Elan joins us today to talk about debt traps, how you can fall into them, how to avoid them. Far too many people get caught up in sneaky and predatory spending cycles. They can see them rapidly fall deep into debt, and sometimes these situations can be avoided. Elan, thanks for being here today. Hi, Dorota. Thank you very much for having me. So before we begin, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how and why you do what you do? So I'm originally from South Africa, came to Canada 23 winters ago. I love that as a count. (laughs) I count by the winters, the only thing keeps me going. So I'm married 22 years, father of three. I qualified as an accountant back in South Africa, and then I came to Canada, did my conversion exam, and was looking at traditional accounting stream, but didn't really want to go that route. And I happened to fall into the corporate insolvency side of the world. So I did that for a number of years, then also did some corporate due diligence, M&A kind of work, and happened to fall into doing a bit of consumer work. And that's sort of where I've now focused and moved my career towards purely, well, primarily consumer and small business restructuring, working with and trying to help individuals that are struggling with their debt and financial situations. And what is it about that that has really kind of inspired you, especially around working with individuals? I think it's a misconception of how negative it is. And when you actually sit across from individuals that are struggling with debt and you help them, you actually do see that real help that you're providing back to them. So it's all viewed as negative, but when they really know there's a help, there's a way out, as opposed to you just stuck in this for the rest of your life, it really is rewarding. And there's so many times I've had from individuals, I should have done this many years ago. I should have known about this many years ago. Why don't we know about these options and programs? It all sounds too good to be true until they really get into it. And you just see that reward that comes out of that. That must be so really satisfying. You know, you read that the average person when they get into trouble with debt waits for five years before reaching out for help. And you can just think about the pressure that puts on people. Yeah, I think it's the standard human response is sweeping under the rug and hopefully it will go away. People do a lot of research and read about debts not being collected, statutes of limitations, but those don't always play into effect. And there's so long you can run and hide, but eventually someone's going to force you into a corner where you have to do something to help yourself. And we do find from what we do, generally people get to the point of they have no choice and they do it, but they would have told you that 
they thought about it for a number of months, a year or so. They researched it. They met somebody. They thought they could do it on their own and realized they couldn't, and they land up coming back. So it's how do we get to these people and help them understand there is that option to, I'd say, relieve them from the debt pressures. Right. So with that in mind, let's start with a working definition of a debt trap about the kinds of things that people can fall into that can lead them deeper and deeper rather than getting them out. So debt traps are typically where you are forced to get yourself into debt in order to pay bills, live, and it just becomes a cyclical event. So you use one debt to deal with another debt just because you can't keep up, your cost of living is going up. So it becomes that vicious spiral. So we've all heard of the old saying, borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, right? So people are starting to transfer. There are these good kind of emails you get or posts you get saying, hey, transfer your credit card from your current balance to a low interest credit card. But when you read the fine print, those are only for a short period of time. So you're really just kicking the can down the road. And so when people get that, and then all of a sudden the interest kicks up, people don't seem to really realize the compound effects of the interest. So how it keeps eating away at the available budget you would or may have in order to do that. So you just keep digging yourself into a hole further and further. And we say to people, look at your situation. So if you start to borrow more money, borrow from one account, putting into lines of credit versus credit cards, these are the signs that you may be falling into these traps. You've exhausted all your credit limits. So you can't go into a bank and borrow more money. Your credit cards are overextended. You're not paying your debts based on your income. So these are the things that we are just sort of seeing that people get themselves into these situations. And once again, once they start digging, the hole just gets bigger. It doesn't get smaller, right? Unless you're very disciplined. Right. Okay. So let's then take a look at at each of the kind of different kinds of debt vehicles. And I want to be clear, we know that some or most of these would have a perfectly appropriate place to be used. There are safe ways to use them. And there are people that use them quite commonly. For example, people who pay their credit cards off every month and maybe, you know, taking benefits from them or whatever in terms of points. But what we really want to do is look at them and how they can actually become a trap and what you should be looking for. So let's take a start, which you've already mentioned, credit cards. How can credit cards turn into a debt trap for people? So to be clear, and as you mentioned, there's good debt and bad debt. And everybody needs credit or debt in a way to build some kind of a financial presence. So if down the line, you want to buy a house or a car, finance something, it's important to have it. How you use it, how you manage it, becomes more important. So people buy on a credit card, they pay off their minimum balances, or they try to pay off the full balance. But at some point, because you're not physically seeing what you're doing, so you pay one one day, you buy something on the credit card, the next day you buy another thing, you're not actually seeing these transactions. And therefore, by the time you get to the end of the month, you realize you've most probably spent more than you could have actually afforded to pay off that credit card. So now you're in this cycle of I'm paying my minimum, I'm paying 
just a little bit more than my minimum, but that interest keeps growing and growing and compounding. And I mean, compounding is interest upon interest, not just on the actual balance. So it becomes bigger and bigger. And when you're talking credit card debts at anything from 20 to 25% interest rate, you're building that debt even bigger and bigger every month. So being in control of and managing and mindful that you can't, the credit card is not just a blank slate, go spend and, oh, what am I going to do at the end of the month? You have to be very conscious of this from the start. I always say to people, credit cards are a replacement for cash, not a replacement for debt. So if you know you could go put on a credit card and go back and pay it off, great, use it. If you saying, how am I going to pay this off? Well, you should be thinking twice about putting that on a credit card. Do you think that there's an issue with credit card limits that people are maybe extended a limit on their credit card that they should really be thinking about? I think people have the idea that if they can get that kind of limit, they're entitled to spend to that type of type of limit. Well, yeah. So that is the comment we hear. The bank gave me the card, they gave me the limit, and I went out and I spent on it. So the the logical side is, well, if you spend on it, you should be paying it down. Now, if you know that limit is something you can never pay down, why would you be using up that room knowing you're never going to be able to pay it down or you're going to struggle to pay it down? So the banks, I think, have become a lot better or a bit better in giving those limits. They do push people, hey, do you want more? Do you want more? And the funny thing is that my dad even said this to me many, many years ago. He says, I can't understand this. I pay my account every month and I can't try to get an increase in my limit from the bank. And it's like, it's like pulling teeth. Whereas I got a, someone he was helping who was notoriously bad at paying the credit card and the bank just kept increasing their limit. The banks are doing that for a reason because that's where they're making their money on those interest charges, late fees, penalties. So being very conscious that it's not always a good thing when the bank wants to increase your limits and then it's that's- within your means, right? Right. I think that's a really good point and an important red flag. And what happens, because I think it's important that people understand, what happens if you either are continually only making minimum payments or you miss a payment? Then what happens? So minimum payments are good in a way because they going to keep a positive track on your credit report. They keep them going. But over time, once again, with the interest growing, you're going to start putting yourself into more and more pressure. Minimum payments are extending how long you're going to take off, take to pay off that credit card. So sort of use the example, if you had a $5,000 credit card at a 19% interest rate, it's going to take you almost 20 years to pay that off, which is a long time. And it's going to land up adding an additional five to $6,000 in interest. So that $5,000 purchase is going to land up costing you $11,000, $12,000 over that period of time. Whereas if you add a little extra to that minimum payment, so $50 a month, it's going to take you about five years. And basically, you're going to land up spending an additional $4,000, which is more, but it's still, as you can see from the thing, it's, it's, it's definitely a bigger picture. So minimum payments are good, but be conscious if you're able to add even a little bit more, then go ahead and do that because that will help you get out of the situation quicker. Where we now move into missing payments or late on payments, this is where it starts costing a lot more money. So additional fees, 
the banks will have the discretion of increasing interest rates if they think you're becoming more and more of a risk and you're not going to be paying that down. Obviously going to impact your credit bureau, your credit score, which everybody seems to look at and focus on. And some of these cards that have these reward programs, they could start taking those away from you. So these are just the, the risk factors of when you start missing payments and it starts costing you more and more money. One of the things we are starting to see over the last couple of years for people who don't want to charge something to their credit card, and we're really seeing it with online spending, is these zero interest installment payments where they, even for very small purchases, you can now do it. I think they're typically in, in over four payments a quarter now. You can see it on everything from you know Amazon to just about everybody's getting into these. And there's, I know there's nothing new about these installment payment plans. They used to always, though, be for big ticket items. What's the risk of them now that we're seeing them on these little installment loans? So these are the installment plans or the buy now, pay later plans. And I think many, many years ago, we used to call them layaways. The biggest difference right now is you getting the benefit of the product and having to pay before you had to pay and then you only got the product. So it's really just the world in reverse, just a different creative way of doing it. So the installment plans are good in the fact that they give you a fixed period to pay it off, can be three months, a number of years. They do include fees and interest. So you've got to be cautious of that. They're offered by traditional banks. And as they, when you go into websites, certain uh, fintechs are financing these things. But they should really, in my opinion, as you said, use for big ticket item things, emergency situations. The interest rates are lower, but they typically don't affect your credit score. So unless you start missing payments, the biggest issues that we see with these plans is people tend to overspend, right? So they've got this ability to go spend and buy something and know they only have to pay it later on. So it's really a disguised credit card in a way. Paying back could be difficult to track. And that's the one thing you find is they've spent on this installment plan, but now if you're not being diligent or you haven't put up a prepay payment plan on it, on the terms that you've agreed upon, you're not consciously recording it somewhere where you've got to go in and make the payment, that's where people start getting themselves into trouble because they forget. Uh, you know, our lives are busy. We're so busy running and working and doing things, you start forgetting. And that's when these things start hurting people. Because as soon as you start missing, you get the penalties, you get the interest charges, and it becomes a, a juggling act at that point in time. The other biggest risk you're going to see with a lot of these installment plans is you're now dealing with two parties if you have an issue with what you bought. So if you bought something on an installment plan, and you want to return it or there's a deficiency with the product, you've got to deal with the retailer before the bank will give you the money back. Whereas a credit card, if there's a problem, you can go to the credit card company and deal with that. But here you've got to get the retailer on side. He's got to acknowledge there's something wrong and then notify the financing company that offered the plan. And in the meantime, you're still paying for that until you get that matter resolved. So it could become a big headache down the line on trying to juggle and manage all these different parties. And we all know today, a lot more people you're getting a hold of are robots than people. So it's even getting more and more difficult to deal with returns and dealing with issues on products. So got to keep those kind of things in mind. 
right? So risks of overspending, risks of missing payments and then big penalties, and then real risks of what do you do if a product is unsatisfactory? Yeah, correct. So there are a couple of other types of debt that, again, can get people into trouble if they're not managed. People can fall into a, a pattern where they're living a lifestyle maybe that they can finance rather than they can what they can really afford. Yep. Another one that we might want to think about in that uh, regard is HELOCs, which can be a very powerful and helpful tool, but can also cause problems for people. What are your thoughts about HELOCs? Yeah, so HELOC, which is also it's a short form for home equity line of credit, and this is where people would be lending money in order and taking security against their residence or their home. So once again, they're very good. They could either be one-time loans or revolving where you could use it and then pay down and go back and in and out of it, sort of like a line of credit, but it's secured. The security against your home, the benefit is it gives you a lower interest rate. The downfall is it actually eats up the equity in your property. The lender, by giving them security on your property, now has their clause in you. So if there's ever an issue, if you don't land up paying them back, they have their rights and part of their rights could be dealing with your home or trying to realize on your home to get paid out. If there's a first mortgage holder in place, it gets a little more difficult, but they still have their clause in you and you're not getting out of that until you uh, pay them off. The HELOCs are nine times out of 10 or majority times variable and linked to the interest rate. And what we're seeing right now is the interest rate has gone up quite a bit over the last year. And what your plan would be, it would be based on the prime rate plus a certain percentage. So every time that prime rate goes up, your interest rate's going up and therefore your payment is going up. So when you went into this HELOC, what we saw with people going in the pandemic, where interest rates were so low, they were taking these HELOCs quite large amounts. And now all of a sudden, their payments have gone up five, six, seven, eight hundred dollars a month. And we've all seen a number of reports out there that people are two hundred dollars a month away from being in financial trouble. People are struggling. And the other impact on this is when you took the HELOC two to three years ago, it was based on a value of your house that has now gone down to three hundred thousand dollars in certain areas. So you've even gone into more negative equity on your property, and you're unable to pay this monthly HELOC charge. So what are the banks going to do? It's going to be very interesting to see how these things are going to change and evolve, and then what the banks are going to do with that, right? Are they going to convert these HELOCs into loans where you've got it fixed and you've got to pay it back as opposed to just paying interest? Or So there's a number of things we're not sure where the bank's going to go with a lot of these things. Interesting. And then I guess another one, which is kind of similar, car title loans, where your car is security for the loan? Yeah. So this is different to when you're buying a vehicle and you're financing it. This is sort of you go out and you need to do something and you take a loan and they secure your vehicle. So very similar in a way, other than the one thing is your motor vehicle is movable. So uh, there are a number of times you get a call from individuals saying, my car's not in the parking space anymore. And that's because you've defaulted and they've taken their rights, which they have in their agreements. And they've come and they've picked up your vehicle and now they're going to hold it until you either pay them 
or they're going to issue you a notice saying, hey, we're going to be selling your vehicle to recover our costs. Generally, higher interest rates, so you got to be cautious there. And it's short-term repayment terms. They're not giving you loans on your vehicles for three, four, five years. They're generally over a shorter period of time. And all these sort of blend into the signs of maybe you're in financial trouble and you need to really start looking at your financial situation. So I've kind of put one that is maybe a lot of people are very scared of till last, but payday loans, which are, I think, generally an option of last resort. And can you explain payday loans and what happens with those? So payday loans, yes, they're high, high cost loans. And what you're typically seeing is individuals going into these payday lender places, giving them their paychecks. The payday lender lends you money based on whatever formula, however much you want. And you've typically got to pay it back by your next paycheck. So if you're getting paid every two weeks, you would have to pay back that loan. So when you walk past them and you see the sign that says $15 for $100, it sounds pretty reasonable. I'm going to borrow $100 next week. I'm going to have to, in two weeks, I'm going to pay back $115. But when you really do the maths and the calculation, what perceives to be a 15% interest rate is actually almost 300% interest rate that you're paying on these loans. So very, very expensive. And typically someone who's going into a payday lender is not just paying that off at the next pay period. They're typically just rolling over and rolling over. And every time you do that, once again, there's the compounding interest effect and there's the charges that they put onto it, the extra penalties because they're having to roll this over. So it just becomes this spiraling effect and to me, I'd say it's like running in quicksand, right? When you, you're good up front, you, you've got energy, but eventually you just can't move anymore. So it becomes, once again, the, the lender of last resort based on the onerous interest rates and costs that you're going to land up incurring over time to repay these lenders. Right. Are there any other sort of inflated or hidden costs connected to debt that come to mind for you that people might not be aware of? Hard to say because I think every agreement has sort of kind of costs where, you know, they charge you a fee up front. When we all look at that, especially on motor vehicles, that when they say you got to pay a little bit of this up here and a bit, bit of a upfront once-off payment, that's technically your hidden cost and adding to the interest they're charging you. So unfortunately, individuals don't see it that way. They just think it's part of uh, me getting this product or buying the motor vehicle. So got to be cautious that you really read the agreement and understand what the overall actual interest is that you're paying on these things. So once again, I say with the uh, payday loans, it looks like you're paying a 15% interest rate, but that's over a two-week period, right? Whereas the credit card interest rate's 29% or even 10, 15%. That's an annual interest rate. So you're comparing a 1.6 interest rate roughly per month to a 15% interest rate every two weeks it makes a big difference when you start breaking it down that way. Any other kinds of debt that come to mind? The one big debt, we so it's sort of a, a time to either HELOCs or mortgages. There's a lot more private lending going on. And so those are the kind of debts we're starting to see a lot more of where people are using their home as security, but it's to private lenders. Once you're heading that route nine times out of 10, you're getting into higher interest charges, 
larger costs, say less sophisticated lenders and maybe more aggressive lenders at some point. So people need to be cautious when they're getting into those and really asking what they're using it for and what's the ultimate benefit. And the other thing we're starting to see, especially now with seniors, is a lot of these kind of reverse mortgages, which is specific to people that own homes, but I'm not sure how long-term benefit they are to the individual. Short-term, they're very good, but long-term, I think there's a lot of risk with it. Interesting. So what then for people who are now you know, at a time where inflation is now rearing its head again. We're seeing interest rates that are much higher than they were a year ago on mortgages, et cetera. What are some of the red flags that people should notice about their debt situation that it might be getting a little bit out of control or it might be time for them to look for help? Yeah, once again, as you said, the increasing interest rate, increasing inflation, cost of living is going up. So when we see people borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, where they're using their credit cards to pay for day-to-day living expenses. Once again, walking to payday loan people to get funding for their houses or, or living expenses. These are the typically red flag signs. They're at the credit limit. So the bank's giving them a limit of $5,000 and they're consistently sitting in that $5,000 and juggling that month to month. These are the really big signs and red flags we're starting to see that people need to be very conscious and monitor their situations to figure out how far they're in the hole they're at. And are you seeing any signs of particular groups or particular demographics, younger adults, older adults that are particularly vulnerable to debt traps? Who's particularly at risk? I think it's a mix. So we look at the I'd say older or senior adults, and they're vulnerable, I think, maybe because things are just moving so quickly. Everything's digital. There's a lot more scams going on. So you're getting into those kind of situations for the older people. They don't want to question. They're very more compliant. And, you know, someone from the government calls and says, I'm from CRA, pay me. Those are the kind of things we start to see with older people. And that obviously starts increasing their debt exposure and getting them more into debt. With that said, also their income's not what it used to be, but the cost has gone up, right? So they're on CPP, OAS, but the cost of living's gone up. So this is where they're now forgetting or not paying their credit cards and loans because they need their money to live. So these are the unfortunate and I'd say somewhat out of their control circumstances that they're getting themselves into. For the younger generation, I would say it comes from really two factors, them being naive and also these kind of get-rich-quick schemes or these too-good-to-be-true schemes. So I always, when I talk to people, I say, you got to understand spending money has a necessity component and it has an emotional component. Your emotional component is all your wants, right? So what you want versus what you need. And this is where we got to be cautious and conscious because those wants and those emotional spendings are getting yourself more and more into trouble, having to have the the best new phones, the best new products. So these are the traps that people are falling into in order to feel good about themselves, but spending on their credit cards to feel good about themselves, right? So it's across the board, but there are, I'd say at the two ends, 
two different causes as to why people are getting themselves into these traps and financial situations. Interesting. So when you see people spiraling out of control in this want versus need challenge, how do you help them deal with that? What kind of process do you take them through? So when people ask me what I do, I sort of say, I wear three hats. I'm an accountant. I'm a lawyer just based on the insolvency side. I'm not really a lawyer, but we have the legal aspect of insolvency. And then I'm a psychologist and the psychology side seems to be the biggest. I'm not a trained or legal psychologist, but you feel like one. So it comes back to figuring out people's state of where they're at and how emotional about it. We have generally two categories of people, as I say, the unfortunate circumstance where you had a family loss or you lost your job or you got sick and now you have all this debt because you just couldn't keep up. And then you have the other demographic of, as we said earlier, the bank just gave me the credit card. Why couldn't I use it? And it's that kind of that justification that those wants or really needs. So to me, in my personal practice and the way I do things, I'm very direct and upfront with people in a very sympathetic and empathetic way, but I believe people need to hear the facts. Now they have to want to understand, hear them, but it's being really upfront and saying, you've got to understand we're all emotional beings. We shop emotionally. That's why marketing is so good. And it's all based on emotion. So if you could basically step back and really ask yourself, what is the value is this purchase going to add to me personally? I think you'd come up with a different question. But what I think we're finding, people feel that they're entitled to have all these things and they justify that want as being a need, right? And that's a very, it's really a mental kind of game, right? I need the new cell phone. Why do you need a new cell phone? Well, I need a new cell phone, right? But you know, it's not going to change how you live and do your life and do your work and do so that be i think people are very big into justifying something that maybe they don't really need yeah i think one thing that people need to understand is what psychologists call heuristic adaptation which is works with people both positively and and negatively which is that people are incredibly adaptable to both good circumstances and bad circumstances so when you buy yourself a new car you think that's going to make you really happy and it does for three weeks Yep. And after that, it's just your car. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're, you're, you've adapted so completely to it that it's, a, it's an interesting phenomenon. Well, yeah. And I think it's a lot of work, just like being on a uh, eating healthy or whatever. It's a lot of work to mentally and psychologically really put yourself into that space and continue that for a long period of time, right? Mm-hmm. But once again, our emotions are so strong that we just keep falling back into that rut of, I just need it. Do you think debt's too easy and too easy to access and that that makes people more vulnerable? Yes. In my opinion, the the banks and the financial institutions want people to have debts and credit cards. So I look at university students. I've got twin boys that are now just started their second year of university. But from day one on campus is, hey, come sign up for our credit card. You're going to get all these rewards, low interest rates, da, da, da. But it's not coming with, well, what do I do with this credit card? How does a credit card really work? How many people are really talking to their kids about credit cards? It's a piece of plastic that you don't see anything, but you're going to have to pay back. So it's not 
just a piece of plastic that's free money. So I think it is way too accessible. Even people that we do proposals or bankruptcies for, they call me up a week later and say, hey, I got these four applications for a credit card. Well, you've just done a proposal bankruptcy. You can't have a credit card, but the banks are, and it's with the same banks that they just did the proposal bankruptcy with. So the banks want people to have this because they make their money not off their purchase. They make it off the interest they charge you on the purchase. So they want people to keep going down that route. So they're going to just keep giving, giving, giving. And it's how money revolves and turns in in society. You know, we've just been through a pandemic. We're still in a pandemic, although things seem to be returning, thankfully, to normal. But the financial scene and the projections are looking difficult, to be blunt about it. Are you seeing some of these trends? How do you expect them to really impact people this year and over the next couple of years? Yeah, so since the start of the pandemic, uh, we have seen a fall off in insolvency filings. It really dropped off drastically, and this was because a lot more free money was given. People were supported by the government. But now what we start to see, and we think it's going to even ramp up quicker, banks are starting to start recalling loans, starting to do more collection activities. Interest rates, as you said, have gone up. Inflation's going up. Cost of living's going up. So all this adding together, I think, is just going to be a part that's going to explode at some point. Wages definitely are not going up. So we are starting to see sort of double-digit growth now in people requiring financial help and filing proposals or bankruptcy. So uh, we do believe it's going to be something within the next, we keep saying this, but this really starts feeling like in the next three to six months, something has to give. People just can't keep going on the way they've been going on, right? And they're reporting that people are spending one8 times more than they're earning. And last year, it was 1.7. So we can see that that's just increasing as we keep talking about this. The other biggest concern is 2020 people went into and they started buying these bigger houses because interest rates were so low. They mortgaged them, they financed them. We're coming to that period now where three years in, in a year to two years time, these people are going to have to be renewing those mortgages. Well, I don't think they're going to qualify for these 2 3% mortgage rates anymore. Even that's going 4 5%. You're doubling your payment. So it's going to be a big concern, especially when people are saying we can't even afford to live now. So these are the things I think we're going to see happening in the next few months. Garnishments, people suing people, that's going to start happening. And I think it's, it's going to become pretty rampant uh, in the market. Not to sound doom and gloom, but I think it's going to become a reality. Can you explain what that is and how they work? So a garnishment happens in a number of ways. When you lend money or borrow money from a bank or even an individual and you don't land up paying it back, they're going to go through certain processes to try to recover the money. So they're going to send you letters, collection notices, and that's going to come from them initially. They will then transition that into the more aggressive collection calls, handing over collection agency, reporting you to the credit bureaus for being delinquent on the payment. And the collection agencies get very aggressive. They get very personal, threatening. They're going to sue. They're going to do all this stuff. They're really doing this to either get paid or paper their files. Because once they've papered their files, it enables them to start a claims process where they go into, uh, they create a court document, they start a small claim, generally if it's less than $50,000, and you get a notice that you're being sued. 
you have a choice at that point. You either defend it or you don't. If you don't defend it or you're unable to defend it, they then get a judgment. Now, that judgment is what holds the key to everything. And that's when they start garnishment. And garnishment could mean freezing your bank account. So any paycheck that goes into your bank, the bank gets a notice that they have to pay that money over to the financial institution or the lender. On the employer side is if they have that judgment, they contact your employer and they say, hey, this individual owes us money. Please withhold 20 30% of the paycheck and pay it to us. And the employer has no choice. Once that order's there, they got to do it. So we're starting to see a lot more of this. And when I talk to people in payroll and HR, they say not only do we have one garnishment per individual, we sometimes have two or three garnishments per individual, but we have to finish the one before we can start the other because they can't take your whole paycheck. So this is what's happening. So there are processes and mechanisms where we can help and stop those kind of things. Uh, The government also has a mechanism of doing that, but they're a lot more aggressive. They don't have to go to court to sue you because it's all built into the legislation. And all of a sudden you get this fancy notice saying, hey, we're garnishing you. And they can get to a point of garnishing you 100% of your paycheck. So these are the things we're going to see and start seeing coming forward more now, I think, than ever before. So it's just something you got to keep in mind that there is the help for that. And I think it's going to become a big problem for people. There's a, a study showing that debt and people in debt actually has been costing in 2022, has cost organizations almost $40 billion in lost production because people are so stressed. People leave their jobs because they try to run from the debt. So it's a very, very big concern And we're trying to figure out how to help individuals dealing with it because there are options in dealing with that. If someone is in over their heads or if they're seeing some of the red flags that you've identified, what should they do? What should they do now? How can they get back on track? Personally, it's taking a real good hard look at yourself and looking at your financial situation, doing the usual things, creating a budget, writing down all the debt, seeing that in black and white, what are you spending your money on, how many credit cards you have, how much you're paying every month, the interest rates, what subscriptions you have that you're no longer using. I think everyone's notorious now for having all these subscriptions and only using three or four of them. So Really putting that down and having a true hard look at all that stuff is the first step. If you get to a point where you're saying, okay, I can manage this, then start working with paying down your debts and doing a debt management plan for yourself, dealing with your creditors, whether it's the higher interest rate creditors first or the lower balance first, just to feel good that you've paid off some of that stuff. If you get to the point where you say, I just can't handle this, that's when you need to start reaching out. Right. You need to look for the options, what's available out there. And there are a lot of options. There's government regulated program that we've sort of been alluding to, which is managed by the, the federal government, the Office of the Superintendent of Bankruptcy, oversees it. We're licensed. There are about a thousand of us across the country licensed to help people with these options. And we have to give all options. So it's not because you come to see a licensed insolvency trustee that is just do a bankruptcy or do a proposal. We're looking at all options, do a debt management plan, go get a new credit card, go refinance, remortgage. We're helping people with all of that. The last two are either a proposal or a bankruptcy. And as I say, we're regulated. We're the only ones regulated to do it. So there's a lot out there. 
you visit the Office of Superintendent Bankruptcy website, you can see who we are and who the people are that can help you. And it's just really you being in control. Don't let your creditors control the situation, right? Take responsibility, be in control and be proactive. There's one thing I'd like to ask you about that, because one of the other things that people can be subject to is there are services that profess that they can help you improve your credit rating or they can solve your problems for you. What are the red flags around those, and many of which are absolutely fraudulent, and protect themselves from that and really make sure they're relying on the right professional help? Yeah. So once again, people need to be aware and conscious themselves that being in debt is very stressful. And when you're stressed, you're going to be doing or making decisions or look for the quick, how do I get rid of this quickly? And that's where these non-regulated or professions put out there that they can help you with your debt and they can get rid of your debts are going to take advantage of that. And what you should be looking for is when they're being very aggressive They're calling you consistently. They're telling you they can help you get rid of your debt. They're offering you stuff that's just too good to be true. And they can reduce your debt by 80%. They're looking for you to pay upfront so they can get you into the program. We, as a licensed insolvency trustees, do not charge upfront fees. We actually offer free initial consultations, which help people uh, understand what their options are. We're never going to say to somebody, send us your credit card details or pay us. We actually would never take payment by credit card because obviously it doesn't make sense. You're trying to get rid of that. So you got to be careful. What we do find a lot of the things are, they say, how much credit you still have on your line of credit or your credit card. And the reason they ask you that is they want you to use that to pay them. Right. So theoretically, you're not paying them because the bank's paying them, but right. you got to be cautious of that. So these are just the things. So it's really the aggressive. They actually become like collection agencies, very threatening. If you don't do it now, the creditors are going to come after you. They're going to sue you. Da, da, da. There's a time frame for all that to happen. But so you got to be very cautious, very conscious when it sounds too good to be true and it's too much pressure. We will never put pressure on people to do something because it's a life decision you're making to either do a proposal or bankruptcy. So it's those are really the big things I think people need to look out for and be conscious of. Thanks, Elon, for joining us today. I'm sure our listeners will be better prepared now to detect and steer clear of debt traps before they're at risk of getting sucked in or to manage them if they're in trouble. You've been listening to Mastering Money from Chartered Professional Accountants of Canada. You can click to all the resources mentioned in this episode in the description to this podcast in your podcast app. Please rate and review us. And if you'd like to get in touch, our email is financialliteracy at cpacanada.ca. This season is proudly brought to you by BDO Debt Solutions, helping you turn the page on debt. Please note, the views expressed by our guests are theirs alone and not necessarily the views of CPA Canada. This is a recorded podcast. The information presented is current as of the date of recording. New and changing government legislation and programs may have come into effect since the recording date. Please seek additional professional advice or information before acting on any podcast information. Be well, be kind, and remember, managing debt is within your power when you're informed, prepared, and diligent.